0: Um, all right, so let's uh, you know the, the among the issues raised by by the by coronavirus, many and many of a more severe type. Um, so uh, among the less severe, although very very significant, but not not a life or death nature, are some of the financial uh, and monetary ramifications uh, that that come about. I'll just share the screen now, so we can look at the uh, look at the handout. And there's a whole a whole host of of different issues that come up. Just to give a few quick examples, um, with uh, using news stories, one: babysitters, people who have babysitters or, or domestic uh, uh, domestic uh, workers or home help, uh, generally have they've now been staying uh, continued working in, in homes for reasons of, of safety and, and health. So you know, what do you do about your babysitter? Well, number one, there's a question of you know if you, if the babysitter's not coming in. Uh, you know, practically how to deal with it. For our purposes, there's the halachic question. Uh, you know, what do you do in terms of paying the babysitter for the time that they're not, that they're not there? Um, another another uh, scenario that comes up is various places where you, ha- you, rent, you either rent a space or you have a program. Uh, there was this uh, fraudulent forged announcement from the CDC that was going around uh, about a month ago. It's come to our attention that the Jewish holiday of Passover is many people staying at programs, we are recommending that all such programs be canceled. Now, in the end, uh, as far as I can tell, just about all Pesach programs in the United States were canceled, but that was not sent by the CDC. But the point is for, for someone who signs up for a Pesach program or to rent a space for, for uh, a Simcha of some sort, or whatever the case may be, or even renting uh, space for their business, and then the business closes, what do you do about that? You had an agreement in place beforehand, but it's no longer relevant, it's sort of moot, and how do you deal with that on a... Uh, on a halachic basis. And then finally, a lot of uh, educational programs, uh, schools, uh, obviously schools have been canceled for a while now, um, play groups, which we're gonna see, there's been a fair amount of literature uh, about the last month or two, play groups in particular, and, uh, and now summer camps programs, some summer camps are starting to cancel. So what happens there? What if you paid a deposit? Do you get your deposit back? What if you even paid tuition for, for a month of, of play groups? Uh, and then you don't end up; the child doesn't, doesn't end up attending. Do you get that back? These are all questions that, that need to be dealt with. And um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, it's not the same as it's not the same as uh, some of the topics we discussed previously, uh, which which are literal life and death topics. Um, but but these can also be very severe and very very challenging for people. And we're we'll, we're only going to see uh, as time goes on the full extent of uh, the financial uh, of the financial fallout from coronavirus. and, and these are important issues as well. But I think my, 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 uh, my sense is because, um, because they're less immediately uh, uh, of such a severe level, there's a bit less literature right now on the financial issues. There is some, but we're gonna be drawing heavily from earlier materials, both classical halakhic sources and written uh, chubos and articles from previous similar uh, scenarios or parallel scenarios, not exactly similar, with uh, a, a, few, a few treatments of how this plays itself out today. So there's, there's really two different levels at which we could discuss this. There's a general question of if someone pulls out of a business deal, how do you deal with that? Or if someone was hired to be a teacher and then you no longer need their services, how does one work out those details? That's one question, but the question that's, that's more directly relevant here, that's sort of built on top of that, is a scenario when there's some widespread crisis, uh, what's called a Makas Medina. There's some sort of attack uh, or, or problem that's uh, you know region wide or nationwide, and the halacha has has different categories in these cases, and, and the question is how that would apply in our scenarios as well. So source number one here, um, uh, the Gemara, the, the Mishnah talks about the Mishnah uh, If someone receives a field from their friend, they're sort of renting a uh, they're sort of uh, renting a field a chocher, so you pay money to be able to work a field and you keep the, the results you keep what you grow in makas medinahi, if it's a you know a global issue if the whole region is flooded then you don't you can decrease you don't need to pay uh, your full rental you know for the time that it's not usable you don't need to pay in medina but if it's local if just this field in particular got flooded you don't you don't decrease your payment you still need to pay for that month um, what's the reason for that? Rashi explains, He can say to him, it's your fault. You're the only one, you who are using the field this month, are the only one for whom the field uh, flooded. Why did that happen? It must be you have bad mazal. Now there's two ways of understanding this. You can understand this in a literal, a literal and uh, I guess, uh, you know, Kabbalistic or, or, or uh, magical type sense that, you know, there's, there's uh, you actually have mazal that affects you, etc. There's a whole discussion in the Grand Shabbos, whether we accept this idea that there's mazel affecting the Jews. So that's one way of understanding it. It is literally referring to mazel. It's your bad. L- it's your bad luck. In some, you know, in some sense, there are there's mazel, mazalos, the constellations that affect your life. Alternatively, you could just say it's under, you know, in a more practical sense, it's under your control. It's sort of bad luck for you. There's like when we say bad luck. Nowadays, we don't always mean that. You know, there's a concept of luck. It just means it's sort of it fell out bad for you. And it's uh, the, you know, it's it's on you. It's not on on everyone. And this gets passed, and this gets ruled in the Shulchan Aruch, um, where he writes, The, the field, uh, the water dries up, and uh, you can't water your field. If you can get water from elsewhere, not the usual way, um, then you don't get decreased. So there's this, an exception here that if, um, that if there's another way of doing it, uh, even, even in the normal case where it's not a Makas Medina, you don't have the normal ability to, to, to water your field. If there's a way of doing it through difficulty, you're expected to do that. Um, if not, and it's really totally worthless, then there may be an exception there. But for our purposes, being Makas medinahi, if it's a uh, pandemic, if there's some global issue affecting this business, the whole river dries up, no one has water, you, you, uh, you, don't need a, you can decrease from your rental cost uh, of the field. And uh, the, the Ramah here expands on this more globally. If, if it's a, a global issue, where the whole region is affected, you don't need to pay your rent. This applies in all similar scenarios. If, you're, if your item is completely lost, if you have no uh, you know, use, use for it, and it's a global issue, so you don't need to pay your rental, so just like renting a field, you, can, you can don't need to pay if it's not usable due to some global issue. If you rent anything else, if you rent a, a wedding hall or whatever else, or, or a, a, a business suite, it would be the same. And he says, there's, If it's now difficult for you to use your field, but not impossible, if you can find some trick, some way of watering the field anyway, then you don't, uh, you don't uh, get off the hook. Finally, he talks about why there's a difference between going forward and looking backwards, um, whether the expectation is you need to pull out if you don't want to use it anymore. The so the logic here, some have raised the question what exactly the logic is, so the taz explains it as follows. that. Uh, whenever there's a makas Medina a global issue, the Baal is the owner of the field, not the one who's using it. The one who owns it loses. why? The Maaldikq degaram. we now assume that it's not the person who's immediately using it whose who's bad luck it is. It's the bad luck of the owner because it's a global issue, so it's sort of seen as more globally on the general owner rather than on the person who's there right now, and that's, that's at least part of the logic that the task is. So, so that's, that's the classic case of, of Makas Medina, um, where there is a, a global issue. Now that, that applies in two different types of scenarios here, um, which will be a category of, of a renting renting, like renting, just like renting a field here, or renting any, uh, you know, renting an office, or renting a space, and it'll also apply in terms of employment, hiring, right, because in, in Hebrew, it's actually the same term, uh, schiras, right, you rent a field, you rent a person's labor, uh, you, you, hire, uh, you hire a person's labor, that's the same term in Hebrew, it's the same concept, right, you pay money for, for use of capital, human capital or otherwise. So, uh, in some of the early sources, of the, the 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 classical sources about this issue in terms of renting, so uh, uh, the the Shulchan Aruch writes, i are not going to read through the whole the whole piece, but basically, if you rent someone, if you rent someone a specific house, you can't knock it down. You you have to actually rent it to them. You can't uh, knock it down before they start using it. if the house itself falls down, you rent the person this particular apartment, and then it breaks, it it literally uh, disintegrates. Im amarlo so, by ani eno if you said, I'm, I'm renting you this apartment, as opposed to I'll rent you an apartment in the building and that's the agreement, or a dorm room. If you say this particular apartment, then uh, Enoch no so you don't need to build it again, because it's this person's bad luck that the building fell down. And, uh, uh, however, uh, the Ramah here says, in a scenario, of Nisraf Habayis, Dino kin- Kinnafal, if the house burns down, that's the same as if it fell down, there's no difference there, but Nisraf Kohair, if the whole city Burns down, which is the equivalent of Makas Medina. It's a global issue. The whole city burns down. Then you don't need to pay for the rent for that month that the house was now burned down. Um, uh, and we don't say we don't say Maslach Darm. But the same exact idea here, right? You're renting an apartment. If um, you're renting an apartment, if the uh, if if the apartment is uninhabitable, it's your it's your loss. It's sort of on you. It's your bad luck. But if the whole region is uninhabitable, if all the house is burned down, then it's the loss of the owner. So that's a major difference between Makas Medina, a global issue and a normal scenario, in terms of who has to take the loss. Now that's the Ramaz position. Um, This is not uh, globally agreed upon. So the Ravan, one of the Rishonim Ashkenaz says, The renter should lose half, uh, even in a scenario uh, one of those scenarios is the registrar will only lose half. His logic goes back to this idea of whose bad luck it is. So if it, if I'm just renting a particular field or apartment and that field or apartment uh, is affected, so then we can say it's my bad luck, it's my, or it's my responsibility, this is my particular area, but if it's a scenario where the whole, the whole region is affected, then really everyone loses the people. Renting lose the people, uh, maybe the people who are, who are using the apartments lose, the people who own the apartments lose, everyone loses out, so it's equal, so you should split the loss between the person renting the field and the person renting out the field. English, un- Unfortunately, English doesn't have great, uh, you know, uh, standard English doesn't have great terms for uh, renting versus renting out. But the uh, socher and the Moskir each split the loss. That's the Ravan. So it's not it's not that uh, the socher doesn't need to pay anything. No, you need to pay half. The Machne Ephraim goes in a, even in a different direction. Um, he first cites the Ravan and discusses that but he says he quotes a Yerushalmi and he says um, he says a scenario here Afilu Dahavi Makas Medina, even in the scenario of Makas Medina the zero nagav nara Havi makas medina he says if it is true in a normal case where there's makas medina the renter the person who's the person who owns the uh, the field is the one who loses out however if the person using the field paid him already if he paid up front at the beginning of the month then um, then he loses out then the money ends up the, — the, you know, you he doesn't get his money back, the person who, who uh, wanted to use the field, who paid for use of the field. If you paid in advance, you don't get your money back, because it's like this. And I think the logic seems relatively — well, at least one way of rendering the logic is um, it's uh, — well, yeah, so he explains it in the last line here, but Niret the the on the, Since you paid the money up front, nisrat socher, it becomes yours immediately even though usually we say that, uh, that a rental agreement, you pay at the end and it sort of you sort of buy it at the end of the month. So since, since you pay the money up front, it sort of becomes your field. The person who's using the field becomes their field. And then when there's a loss, it's totally their loss. So the Machina Ephraim, so we have so far three views. The Ramah says, if you're, if you're using the field and there's Makas Medina, there's a global issue, you're totally exempt. The Ravan says, you split it. And the Machina Ephraim says... Uh, that it depends whether you paid in advance or not. And there's a question about how we apply that nowadays now that the standard practice is to pay rent in advance, but we'll leave that on the side for now. Um, if we look at If we look at the uh, the Shah, so he writes writes he writes to pasak that's how he quotes the Marami Tiktin. He says, pasak in our scenario, that Sar HaSoker L'Shalem Lo That you actually need to pay the rent in this case Where where you, you, you rent the, the, the area and then there's shinui avir. This is a phrase we see a lot. There's a change in the air, which I think means there's a disease which they attributed to, uh, to bad air. Um, so it's very similar to our scenario actually. And which of course actually does relate to air for things in the air. And that's why people needed to run away. So you still need to pay in that case. And the shakh himself disagrees, the drar in ladina. And similarly, the taz also follows the straightforward reading of the rama where everyone needs to run away. The owner of the field is the one who loses out. So we have a couple of dissenting views, but the main views, the Ramah, the Shach, and the Taz, the most classical poskim, say that you're exempted from paying the rent. Whereas there's a couple of min- minority positions, one from Marishon one from the Ravan, implying that you split it, one from the Mahan Ephraim, uh, that, uh, that it depends who, whether you paid or not. And one uh, from the Mi mitiktin that um, you always pay. So there's the full range of views. What about practically? So this is a chuba from of Usher Weiss and Minchas Usher, not a recent one from. It's published already, um, based on previous issues. Israel. There's a fair amount of literature on Makas Medina in cases where there's uh, y- y- where areas people don't rent in areas due to wars or or terrorism. So there's he wrote about that issue. He says. The keyven she oni basrai ara, v'ashach, the great pillars of halacha, the taz v'ashach, a'efse uh, uh, dever who al balabai, since they say that the owner loses out, meaning the, the person who is using the field doesn't need to pay. And even though, it goes into more details in army, Rittenberg's case, which we actually haven't looked at yet, um, he st- says, hu'adim <laughs> if you run away for war, that's close enough to our case, to, to a disease, and definitely in our, in our scenario today, a disease would be exactly the same. vade <inaudible> y'achala Definitely, if you haven't paid your rent yet, you can say, well, I am following the Taz and the and I don't need to pay rent. And what if you paid the rent already? Jump down to the bottom here. What if you paid your rent for that month and then you had to vacate because of, in his case, terror, or in our case, uh, disease. You still need to pay back the money. So this is going against multiple views, going against uh, even the view that we saw of the Machaneh Ephraim, that if you paid up front, you're sort of okay with paying, you're giving, you've given up your right to keep the money, is going against that view, it's saying we rule against that, like the shach and the taz, and you can collect your money back. And it's also going against the principle in halacha we often apply known as kimli. Kimli, which means, I liter- uh, literally, I establish it or I hold like this position, meaning if there's a dispute, with various positions, sometimes one can say, okay, this is not the standard position, it's a minority position, but I happen to believe in this position and it, help, it helps me out because I don't need to pay. And that, that, that's, uh, uh, that, that uh, application, that can be applied on the basis of, of mochzak. If you're holding on to the money, in some cases, you can choose which halachic opinion you're going to rely on. As we know, possession is nine-tenths of the law, uh, or hamotzi mi and uh, there's room to rely on a minority position sometimes. Here, Rav Usher Weiss says you can't do that. Not only do we not rely, we rule like the position that, that it depends who has the money, you even can collect from the person, collect your money back um, from the person who is leasing you the apartment. And the reason why he says this is, is because he thinks there's a clear psaac, there's a clear ruling because of who's on, who's, on, uh, who's on the position that you're exempted from paying, the, the shach and the taz major, a uh, Central Poskin, that we rule like that, to the exclusion of the other opinion, you can collect your money back. On the other hand, the Amech HaMishbat, of Yaakov Kohen, again a contemporary posek, he has an article where he talks about a similar issue um, relating to Tzvat, when there was uh, some uh, fighting in the north, a war in the north, and um, he writes, uh, without going into detail, If you paid rent already, you can't force the person who rented you the apartment to pay back. He can say, I rely on, rely on the Malchon Ephraim, that it depends on whether you paid already or not. That's the opinion I'm following. And why do we care what he says? Because he's the Muchzach. He's holding on to the money, so he can, he has some room to choose what position he can rely on. And he says, okay, fine, it's against all these other positions. So We should definitely give back at least some of the money, because you have those other opinions, and at least, and definitely in terms of Pshara, Pshara where you don't rule based on the, the specific technical halacha, but on, uh, ideas of, of equity and fairness, and uh, so it's, it's still better to give back some of the money. I can't force someone to pay back the money. So this is a machlokas, the dispute between the Enika Mishpat and Rav Asher Weiss in, in previous cases as to whether you can force someone to pay back rent if the rent was already paid. But they both seem to say, if you didn't pay rent, you don't need to pay the rent if, for whatever reason, you're forced to leave your apartment. Um, but if you already paid, you might have to, you might not be able to get it back according to the but but according to Rav Usher Weiss, you can. And both of them might say that it's proper to do shara. Actually, Rav Usher Weiss gave a shear about this recently, just the other day, in practice. This is an issue in some areas of Yerushalayim where, um, where the rents are, almost all the apartments are rented by Americans. And these Americans came home for Pesach and didn't come back. And why is that relevant? Because for it to be a Makas Medina, it needs to be a scenario where basically the whole area, the whole, uh, the, the whole market is, is flooded, literally. The market is flooded. Uh, if it's a field, uh, you can't use your field. Or in this case, the market is, is totally destroyed. No one is renting these apartments right now. There's no demand for apartments in these areas of Yerushalayim, because it's always rented by majority uh, Americans and people from elsewhere, and, uh, and they're all back in America. They're not interested in renting. So what do you, what do, you do here? You, you, know, you committed to pay rent for these months, you're now back in America, you have no interest in in paying uh, your rent because you're not there, what do you do? He, so without going into the details, he said that um, consistent with his position that we saw just now, um, his, his position favors one, the, the person who's, who's renting the apartment, the person who's living in the apartment, um, given the halakhic factors. So he says there's really two options. One option is theoretically if at some point you say I no longer want to rent in this apartment, you don't have a contract. You're sort of month to month. You theoretically can stop renting there, and as long as you remove your things, you're you're you know you can end your rental. That's not practical for most people because all their stuff is there and they want to come back in a few months. So in such a scenario, you can't really you can't end your rental. You want it to continue later, but you want to get exempted from payment here. So he said, well, there should be some sort of pshara somewhere around 50/50. At the end of the day, uh, you should be able to get back. Uh, get, or get or get off half of your rent, more or less, based on pshara, also based on the halakhic factors there. So that's one recent decision in this area. So much for, for uh, renting a certain, uh, certain uh, field or apartment. Let's move on now to renting human capital, or hiring, also known as schiris in Hebrew, but a, a different area. Um, so, the, the, the most important early source after the Gemara, and this is the Mordechai, Mordechai from uh, among the Chosam uh, of Ashkenaz. So he, there was a story where he quotes the Maharam. There was a story where the government didn't allow teaching of Torah. This has happened before in Jewish history, tragically. And he says, um, it, and, and so the government says you can't teach Torah. So what do you do? You have a melamed, you have a Rebbe who teaches your kid Torah on a regular basis. <speaking in Hebrew> if the teacher can't teach, not because he's sick or other scenarios. Usually, ah, so just background. Usually, if, if, uh, uh, if when, when there's workers, the general principle, we're going to see if there's in a second. When there are workers who can't work, so in most scenarios, if, uh, you know, if, if you can't work, you don't get paid. Unless there's a scenario where the reason why you can't work could have been foreseen by the employer, but not by the employee in such a case um, where you know, the employer is, uh, you know, is really the employ- employer who's at fault for not being aware of that and not uh, accommodating that scenario, so then the employer has to pay. But if it's a case where either both the employer and the employee knew it was a possibility, um, or where neither of them knew it was a possibility, usually under normal circumstances, um, you don't pay the employee. Uh, of course, unless there's some contract or some, some stipulation, that's different. So what about in this case? Im hamoshel the uh, the ruler of the city says, no more teaching Torah. It's illegal to teach Torah. He He can't teach. You can't learn. medina. This is the equivalent of a makas medina. It's as if the you know, none of the fields work because the entire field of education is now closed. And just like we saw earlier, that makas medina, you end up you end up saying that instead of the person who's, well, so here's, here's the interesting thing. So we said before, the person who's, who is using the field, who's paying money to use the field, um, uh, sort of wins out in Makas He doesn't need to pay the rent. In our case, it's the it's the, Malamed, the teacher, who's actually getting paid the money, who wins out here. Instead of losing, instead of not, uh, instead of, uh, not receiving his wages, because there's a Makas And In this case, he does receive his wages. So there's a whole question here of whether this is the proper parallel. Some have, in some of the sources we have below, which we're not going to read too closely, they say, well, isn't this the opposite? Because, the, I mean, it is true that the, the mulamid is the little guy, right? Is the, you know, is the, um, if you're teaching in a school, you have multiple students, and you're you're sort of the employee. And the person using the field is also, so to speak, the little guy, right? He's someone who owns a bunch of fields, and you're using, you're working on some of the fields. but. The structure of the of the arrangement is opposite in the two cases. A chocher, someone who pays to use a field, is paying to use a field, and he ends up benefiting from it being makas Medina, relatively to, relative to the normal case. Whereas here, the malamed is getting paid, and he's winning out. So some people have noted this. Mordechai seems backwards, but whatever you say about that, um, the Rama, the Rama uh, cites it l'halacha. So let's look at source thirteen here. Hasocher eshapol lahashkos asada, mizeha nahar. Uh, if someone hires a worker to water the field, and the river stops working, so there's no job to do, if it doesn't usually stop, or if it's, meaning this is unusual, neither side expected it, or if it sometimes stops, but both the, the, the employer and the employee knew it could happen, both sides know, say to the po'el, the is the worker doesn't get paid in such a scenario. That's, so that's rule number one, right? If either both parties or neither party knows what might happen uh, in a case of onus, where something beyond everyone's control happens, you're exempt in a normal case, uh, meaning the, the worker doesn't get paid. <laughs> if this employer, employee, does not know the way that the river works, he doesn't know how it works, but the employer knows, then he pays him, although he doesn't pay him full wages because it's a lot easier to get paid not to work than to get paid to do manual labor. So he gets paid a bit less than his normal wage known as poa batel. Uh, the, the difference between full payment and payment as someone who doesn't need to do the, the, the manual labor, there'll be some differential there. We'll see later on, um, a standard opinion is you get paid 50%. Meaning if you paid whatever it is, uh, $20 an hour to do manual labor and the manual labor is unavailable for because the employer knew that something might happen, didn't tell you and then it happened. So he pays you, He'll pay you $10 an hour instead of $20. And the Ramah says here, anytime there's an onus, something that happens to the worker, if either both of them know or both of them don't know, the worker, the the employee, doesn't get paid. If the employer is the only one who knows, then he loses out. And now our scenario, if the employer is the only one who knows, then he loses out. If it's a scenario of Makas Medina, where it's not just that this one person can't do their job, but no one can do their job, there's no water at all for any of the fields, then see Shin Kafal, which we saw earlier, and presumably uh, he's following what we saw in the Mordechai, um, which he also cites part of that uh, below, that that means that the, uh, the employ- employee gets paid in a scenario of Makas Medina. In other words, if we translate it into our case, um, if you have a daycare uh, or someone who's who watches uh, a babysitter, so a ba- someone who watches someone else's kids. So usually, you usually, if the person, there's an onus, there's some for some reason, there's a snow day, there's no babysitting, so the babysitter wouldn't get paid. If, however, it's not just, well, I guess a snow day depends on how you relate to. Right. Let's say the the babysitter gets sick or the kid gets sick, then uh, that's sort of a foreseeable thing, and the babysitter wouldn't get paid under strict halachic uh, 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 terms here. Um, and, however, if there's Makas Medina, if there's a reason why there's no babysitting happening across the whole region, because it's dangerous, because uh, we need to do social distancing, then the Ramah would say, you do pay the babysitter right? You don't pay the, full, the usual full wage, because you know, the babysitter now has time to do whatever they usually can't do, because they're babysitting, but they still get paid a good chunk of their usual salary. So that's the Ramah's position, following the, the uh, Mordechai. And, uh, it's, again, this is a case where it's not universally agreed upon. The Nesivos here uh, says he's, he's very surprised. This is very surprising. And he makes the point that was mentioned before, that renting, uh, uh, someone re- using a field, someone paying to use a field, is not comparable to someone being paid to teach. Those are opposite cases. So why would you, why would you say that a chocher, paying to use a field, is like a malami being paid to teach? It should be the opposite. And why would uh, why would it help? And he, he adds if in a normal case, where let's say the, the melamed gets sick and can't teach, so the melamed doesn't get paid. So in this case, the whole country gets sick. So why should that be more reason to pay the Malamid? Why should that be more reason to pay the person to pay the employee? It doesn't make sense logically. So he says, what's the Mordechai talking about? Then he must be talking about a different scenario. Fascinating idea here. The So why? A melamed must be different nearest the So uh for background, there's this idea in, in uh uh in in halacha of Mani Bachinam af That generally one shouldn't be paid money to uh to study Torah or to teach Torah and the, the, so then how does one pay all, all the rebbeim in all the schools, or, or a malamid in this case? So the, the halachic reason that's given is that you're not paying the, the, uh, the, the teacher of Torah um, to teach Torah, you're paying them to, uh, to be a shomer, you're paying them to be a babysitter. And okay, if they teach them Torah on the side, that's a, that's a free bonus. Right? So That's sort of a workaround for how it's permitted to, te- to pay uh, Torah teachers. So here too, the malamid when he gets paid, Classically, the classic Malami gets paid. Why is he getting paid? Not for teaching Torah, but for babysitting. And what was made illegal in this town? They didn't make babysitting illegal. What they made illegal was teaching Torah. The, but the rabbi says, "I'm happy to continue babysitting your child." Uh, the, right? The malamit's happy to continue babysitting. You probably don't want that. You'd rather have uh, you'd rather have someone else babysit uh, your children. Uh, you know, the, the Malamites for teaching Torah and having them just uh, hang out—it's not what you want. But too bad—you you signed up, you hired him, the official. You know the theoretical official contract the agreement was for the Malame to babysit and he's willing to babysit so you have to continue paying but that Mordechai doesn't reflect more broadly on anything uh, and anything uh, in, in our in our realm anything about workers in general it's a specific case there so that's the nacebos's objection there um, now the Shach quotes al-maram Padua, who says Mas the Chazak. Uh, so the, the, the part of the factor here is, is defining exactly how Makas Medina works. So the Shah says this whole application of this ruling, it depends if everyone leaves or only some people leave. And uh, he says that, uh, right, and, and we, we seem to it, as long as rove, as long as the majority of people leave the area that counts as, as uh, Makas Medina and one would apply the Halakha accordingly, which again, as we saw, for the Rama, means that um, the the uh, employee does get paid, whereas uh, whereas we saw for the nesibos, it means he does not get paid, right? So opposite, conclu- or for the, for the nesibos, it's no different than the normal case of onus. Um, but uh, both the shach and the taz here, someone who's uh, renting a house, he compares that to our case. Um, and he gives uh, some reasons, as why this is, Makas Medina. Um, fine. Right, he says, Medina. If the majority of people need to run away because of health reasons or, or the like, that's makas Medina. Now the Sma, another commentator on Shulchan Aruch, disagrees with the Ramah as well. Um, and he writes. We until now we've been assuming that even though in the normal case, your malamaid, your employee gets sick, they don't get paid. If there's a makas Medina, if there's a pandemic, they would get paid. We've been assuming they get paid in full. But he says that's not what the Mordechai means. you don't get paid in full. Why should you get paid in full? Neither side could have predicted it. Under normal circumstances, that would mean the mom doesn't get paid at all. We've the the So that seems unusual that we'd now say because it's global, because the ruler says no one can no one can teach Torah that that you don't get paid at all. So so I so what is what what about the, the Mordechai citing the Marmi Rutenberg? Uh, what he said, what we saw. And the Ramah quotes the Ma'araim Rittenberg and the Mordechai that the normal rule applies. That um, that which we understood to mean that uh, the employee gets paid if it's a pandemic. Um, uh, he's following his own logic. This is wrong. This is not. There's no basis for this. So what's the conclusion? the Makas Medina, Shavin they should be equal. They're both equally affected, just like we saw before in terms of renting spaces, the same thing by employees. Since the whole world, everyone, employers and employees are equally affected by Makas Medina, by a pandemic or a global problem, they should split the loss. The Maslo, the Shum Echad Garam. It's no one particular person's fault, it's everyone's fault. So they should split the losses equally, and therefore we should include one of two things, either, whoever's holding on to the money, if you didn't pay yet, you don't need to pay. If you already paid, you don't get it back. Possession is nine tenths of the law. Oh, the fachos, yeah, have said al Or maybe they should both lose, they should split the loss. So we have, if you think about it, we have four different positions here. The Ramah, straightforward reading of the Ramah and the Shachatah seems to be that uh, you do need to pay employees in a pandemic. And sibo says that's only true for a Malame because of unique circumstances, but usually you don't pay employees during a pandemic. And the SMA here has two middle positions. Either you pay them half or uh or It depends if you paid already or not. So there's a wide range of views on this issue. If we look at the Minchas Asher, again Rosher Weiss, Hadabi Paskinville, Ola Dina, mikol anal. Again, he goes through the again in great length. Um, What's the definition of Makkas Medina here? If most people in your field stop working, so most schools shut down. The loss in a pandemic, in a Makkas Medina, the loss falls on the employer, meaning they have to pay the employees despite not having school and presumably getting, you know, not getting tuition or getting less tuition. You get full pay. Ach the darkosh and the seebos and ishbat, gamma can gavna mask marmad, and as we saw, says no, even the Ramad doesn't doesn't Ramad doesn't mean what he sounds like he means. Really, um, you do have to pay. Um, you still do have to you sorry, you still don't pay the Malame. The ilwa smah, cholik al Rama, the sober sha dinhu sha kloku. The Smah says they split. So what do you do? You have three different views. The Alkar, Nir Lama, Lamaisa, Shivroilassos, Kaimshara, Viafoku. You have such a wide range of views, it's not even clear what the Halacha is. So, this is a good reason to not do pure halakha, but rather to do yachloku, to split, uh, uh, sorry, to do pshara and yahloku. So the pshara, as was mentioned before, pshara is not pure din, it's not the pure uh, letter of the law. It's using a sense of equity and the overall sense of the circumstance, and you don't necessarily, you know, figure out which sheet do you possibly Like You use the halakha as a general framework, and then you look at the situation, and you apply the two together and figure out uh, how exactly to rule. So that's the Minchas Asher there, and in fact, the Minchas Asher and many cite an important passage from the Hsam Sofer. This is in, I guess it's like autobiographical reflections, in a Sefer Zikaron. Here's the uh, frontispiece, the first page, and here's uh, page Lamed Zion. He's talking about, I believe, during the uh, the Franco-Austrian War, but he says, and he talks about the terrible, terrible things that, uh, you know, that the, the Jews were subjected to, including at one point, again, not being allowed to teach. For whatever reason, you know, the the, the schools were closed down for an extended period of time. What do you do about that time when you couldn't be in school, you couldn't be learning in yeshiva? Do they pay in full? Do you need to pay full tuition to the Malamate or not? I, in my poverty, I'm just, who am I? I'm just the chsam sofer. I don't know what the halacha is. That well, so what did, what does he do? I paid my own employees full money. I you know I don't know I don't know what the halacha is. I want to do the right thing. Play it safe. So play it safe means paying uh, the full money to to my employees. I think in this case um, you know uh, the teachers or, or yeshiva employees or malamdim, uh, but uh, you could. It sounds like it wouldn't be any different for other sorts of employees. The atem for you, I'm not going to impose that stringency on you. You, the community, Tevatu hadin al pi lishalim l'shalim chetzio v'yafsin malamid chetzio. So you should do pshara. You should do not letter of the law. Figure out exactly what the halacha is and do according to that. You should do pshara, and that'll come out that each each side loses half, meaning you pay the malamid half the usual wages, and each side, you know, you, uh, one side gets half their usual salary, the malamid. The, uh, the people pay for not getting service. Each side loses half, and that's how you split the losses. And he says, um, fine, he's, he goes, He goes. quotes some of the positions here, quotes the SMA and others, but the point is, he you know he obviously knows the sugya, but he's saying it's, it's a complicated sugya, it's not clear how to rule, better to do pshara. And of course, it's not just that it's complicated. Uh, in general, there's a tendency, many posts can prefer pshara. Some did din only do pshara. They don't, they won't rule on the pure halacha. It's sort of a it gives a little wiggle room where necessary and especially in a case like this where it's not like someone's in the right and someone's in the wrong and you need to figure that out here really everyone you no know, no one did anything wrong it's where we're in a crisis something terrible has happened so the you know the, the equitable thing is to split the loss um, and uh, it's sort of a different a different sense of justice uh, you know one might say i mean he doesn't use these words but but conceptually one might think um, There's different types of justice. There's retributive justice. If you do something wrong, you get punished. If you steal money, you pay it back. And that's, you know, often many areas, things work like that, right? If you pull out of a deal, you get penalized. That's retributive justice. This is distributive justice. We have money, or in this case, losses, we have, uh, you know, difficulties and challenges and distributive justice is the question of how to distribute those losses so that you're minimizing the overall, uh, the overall pain and the overall loss for the whole community. So here, the, the Chassam Sofer encouraged this, and many others have followed to emphasize pshara. So, you know, if you say, okay, you get paid in full and you get nothing, that might be too much of a hardship for one side. If you say, uh, but if you say to each split the loss, hopefully each side will be able to manage. And again, pshara will also depend on the capacity of each side to sustain the loss. We'll see this more going forward. I'll just mention, I saw it noted, I hadn't heard this previously, but Rabbi jackter in an article mentioned that just like the Chassam Sofer um, continued paying his employees, in, in this Makas Medina, in a, in a parallel scenario um, where, uh, where during the Intifada, where the Arab workers weren't allowed in to Yeshivat HaRatzion, to the Gush, to be able to work, uh, Rav and Lichtenstein also said that they should be paid in full. Because again, you know, it's, no well, you know, it's not their fault they can't come into work, so they should be paid in full. So those are, those are some of the overall categories here. There are some additional details that are worth mentioning, just quickly. Um, we mentioned already Paul Battel and here's source 21 is the Taz, which says, Paul battel usually is about 50 percent. Whatever you get paid, usually the fact that you don't need to do the labor associated with it, you should get 50 percent. The Ramah here mentions, and this is complicated, that in some cases getting paid versus not getting paid makes a difference. We saw that already in other contexts, and we're not going to go through that inside. Um, and right, the Trumas Adeshen, also a similar idea to what we saw before, uh, in the Machaneh that sometimes if you paid already, that indicates that you don't want uh, that that you uh, you're okay with the deal. and You wouldn't pull out. Um, one last thing. Well, there's a few a few general points that are relevant before we jumped in, into recent uh, statements. So a few a few more things. So Dina demalchus Dina. So uh, if you know if there, are, you know if, if if one decides to go to the secular courts, which Jewish law generally prefers going to Jewish courts. But if for whatever reason, a case is adjudicated in secular courts, that would, that would be binding and you wouldn't be able to sort of double dip, right? If you say, oh, you know, uh, you, you uh, cancel the contract, I'll get, you know, uh, I'll sue you in secular court and I'll sue you in Jewish court. Obviously you can't double dip um, like that. Um, also, the, these factors need to be, uh, you need to calculate other relevant factors. Meaning if someone, let's say, uh, is laid off from let's say a teaching job because, you know, school's not in session and they get unemployment. So that should be factored in too, right? If they get, if they end up getting half of their usual salary through unemployment, you're obviously not going to pay them their full salary. You're probably not even going to pay them half their salary um, because, you know, they're already being compensated. So, you know, when you're dividing the loss, so to speak, um, it'll, it'll come out differently. Other factors, contracts. If there's a contract, you generally enforce the contract. This is a principle in halacha, although there's a limit on that. Source 24 here talks about an idea called asmakta asmakta means if you co- if you contract for something that you don't actually believe, it's not serious, it's not a real contract, and it's not binding. So if I say to you, the case here is, you know, I owe you $100, and we reach the deadline, and I don't have it, I say, okay, um, if I don't have, I'll pay you back $100 by next week, and if I don't have it by next week, I'll owe you 200 We assume that a person who says that doesn't really mean it, they're just saying that to get out of a tough spot, and that doesn't work halachically. So, um, contracts will work, assuming that they actually correspond to something real. Meaning, if you say, okay, you're renting the hall, if you cancel, um, you know, if you cancel more, less than a month in advance, you have to pay 30% of the fee. Why 30%? Because 30% is, you know, the work that we put in in advance correlates to 30% or whatever it is. If you say, but if you say you pay 100%, if you cancel a month before you have to pay 100%, that, that doesn't actually correlate to, uh, you know, and presumably they can hide, they can find other people in a normal scenario, that wouldn't correlate to anything real. That would just be an asmahta. That would just be a way of, you know, of, of threatening, you know, of, of sort of uh, forcing someone's hand. And presumably when you commit to that, you don't mean it and it wouldn't work. So generally contracts work, except where it seems like, you know, the parties didn't actually mean it. So that's another relevant factor. factor. Yet another factor here is minag ha-medina. When there are certain fields where everyone, everyone in the field works a certain way, um, you know the expectation is you always whatever it is. If if let's say theoretically there was a clear expectation about pulling out of rental agreements and how that worked, and everyone knew that when they signed up for the rental agreement that would also be binding. Um, fine. And one last thing is it is uh, let's say you uh, let's say you you sign up for a Pesach program and the Pesach program was canceled, so. They're, so, you know, on, on the one hand, let's say they cancel it, it's their fault that they canceled it. On the one hand, you'd expect to get all your money back. On the other hand, especially if they're not at fault, especially if there's some onus involved, maybe something they could have foreseen and not you, there's generally a principle that expense is already, already rendered. If they already spent money on organizing the program or buying food or whatever, um, within reason, those you wouldn't get that but money back as well. So those are some general principles applicable here. Let's jump in to uh, some of the sources that recently came out. So here, from just uh, over a month ago, the Lakewood-based Havad, which is sort of the organization that runs, that rules on all sorts of practical halakhic cases, and reviewed by Roy Forsheimer, one of the senior post come in Lakewood, they came up with uh, guidelines for playgroup. So they said, you know, they, they comply with halakhic guidelines, and they said it's not really absolutely binding, this is general guidelines, not a ruling for either party, you'll work it out later, you know, uh, this is actually a, a really, a very a skillfully done, very strong set of guidelines here, both halakhically and practically, as far as, as certainly as far as I can tell. So, um, right, they say places that force to close the parents' obligation. You have to pay tuition um, for the days It's closed. Um, sorry, whether you have to pay tuition is subject to a great debate among earlier Poskim, and we saw this debate. Some Poskim require the parents to pay the full tuition. For the time the clickers are closed, while others completely exempt the parents from tuition. Other posts can require the parents to pay half the tuition. And we saw that just minutes ago, if you look in the footnote here, um, they talk about the normal case of when one is uh, one is one is, uh, has onus and can't work and uh, how usually you don't pay the worker but it might be different if it's Makas Medina, they quote the Mordechai and the Ramah, that sounds like then you do have to pay the, the, uh, the teacher or the employee, but they also quote uh, they also quote the, uh, the ahronim there who disagree with him, and uh, they quote some of the positions that we saw that you either don't pay or you only need to pay half. So that's one relevant factor. Um, so they they, go into, they say, being that there is no clear halachic consensus, the parents cannot be forced to make further payments. So the logic there, again, is ha Michaver mi al-varaya, both because it's unclear halachically and if you haven't made the payment yet, you can't be forced to, to make a payment on that basis. So, therefore, they say, and this is not obvious, this is a little controversial, accordingly, moras should not cash any head checks they may have, right? A predated check, they shouldn't cash them, and parents have the right to cancel the check. Now, you might say, yes, parents have the right to cancel the check, but you still shouldn't cancel it, but that's not the logic they went with. Um, They want to return all the checks, fine. Although strict halacha generally dictates that a party cannot be required to pay out of pocket in a manner of doubt, Nevertheless, a pshara, a compromise, is recommended. So they say, they end up ruling, because there's so much machlokas, there's such dispute, unclear, it's not clear what the halakha is, You don't need a, no money should really exchange hands in a new way. I shouldn't have to pay money I haven't already paid. But that's din, that's the technical halacha. But pshara, you know, this idea of compromise and, and thinking about equity more generally, would dictate that people should pay something. And they quote the chsam sofer that we saw, and they say, in our situation, the pshar must be reduced to reflect the ease of work that the mora has from the playgroup closure, right? This is Skarbatala. It's a lot easier to spend your day not running around after little kids than it is to spend your day running around after little kids. And uh, if you didn't know that before coronavirus, uh, you know, and you have uh, little kids uh, that, that you've uh, had a chance to interact with, uh, you definitely know it now. So, um, and, and the ads, of course, the actual pshar amount can be adjusted based on other relevant factors, such as the parents and the Mora's relative financial situation, the Mora's ability to receive unemployment benefits, or other such assistance. This is the general idea of equity, thinking about the overall situation, both the halacha, which in this case is not, not so clear, and there may be a bias towards the muhsat, the person holding on to the money, but also to consider what, you know, what the Mora is getting otherwise, and what the capacity of the two sides are. Now they give some specifics. March tuition, keep the full payment, because most of March there was, there, there was uh, school anyway, or groups anyway, uh, or uh, uh, play groups anyway. What about going forward? Parents should pay between a quarter and a third of the regular monthly tuition payment, and, and, that, and that incorporates a discount for March, whatever, we're not going to go into the details, but the logic here, why a quarter or a third? So the logic is as follows. It's in the footnote, but we're not going to go down to it. Um, as we saw, there's different views of whether you need to pay or not. So a so view you, you need to pay everything, you need to pay nothing, you need to pay half. So you average that out, you need to pay half. That's the, that's the, halacha, the halakhic average. Add to that skharbatala that it's easier to be, a, uh, to be a mora who's not working than a mora who is working, and that, that decreases it again further from a half to either a quarter or a third, right? Because if you say skharbatala is a half, as we saw in the Taz, a half of a half is a quarter. Some people think skharbatala should really be uh, you know, two-thirds, then you decrease it to a third. So something in that range. And um, finally, they talk about going forward, how much they charge, daily payment. Um, but that's, that's the... Uh, that's the general story here. And then jumping to the end, the pshara is intended to be mutual, meaning the mora is waiving the right to further payment. Right, You can't take your third or quarter payment and then sue for more later. That presumably would be the basis of the pshara, of the compromise in the first place. So very uh, you know, very well thought out guidelines. I actually uh, asked my sister who uh, has a child in playgroup in Lakewood and, and her sense was, you know, among her friends, uh, this is very re- well received and people are very nervous to start with. What do you do? It's very difficult. Um, you know, you, you're going to be expected to pay everything, you feel bad if you don't, and having a communal uh, standard is often very helpful, right? There's, a, there's, I guess, a meta question here, aside from the technical halakha, and just a heads up, I expect we'll go another uh, 10 or, or maybe 15 minutes, just because we, we uh, started a bit late and had some uh, technical uh, pauses, um, so there's a, uh, yeah, so there's sort of a, a broader communal question, which is, do you deal with things retail or wholesale? Do you say, we're going to give one sock for the whole community? Or do you say, we're going to deal with every case uh, on an issue-by-issue basis? So Lakewood has general guidelines, and they say this is not the absolute halacha; these are guidelines, and not absolutely binding. So they're going, you know, they're a bit in the middle, but towards the side of having communal guidelines, which, as I said, my, my sense um, is that they've been very well received. This, they have a second letter they came out with a few days ago, where they go into more detail about if the Moore is receiving unemployment, then obviously you take that into account. And uh, presumably the unemployment would be more than the third or quarter. So probably if the more is getting unemployment, you wouldn't end up paying much. Um, And here, here's another relevant thing. Um, Many playgroups are providing conference calls and other services for their students. So some, right? Uh, Some just like schools are doing online learning um, or over the phone learning more likely in in Lakewood, but some playgroups are also doing some online learning. So if you choose to be involved, there should be some payment for the services. And it's, of course, not going to be full payment, but maybe you'd, you'd uh, instead of paying a quarter to a third, you'd pay 40 to 50% of the regular money because they spend an hour with your kids. They're going through the details of how this would practically play out, very detailed, very, you know, considerate and concerned for the well-being of the community. Um, here's, here's fascinating, even if the parents sign a contract about la- with language about paying tuition in the event of cancellation, such clauses would not govern this unique situation. Why not? So this is Asmahta. No one expects, uh, nobody expects a, a pandemic. So when you signed your clause saying, oh, if, you know, if the students can't come for whatever reason, we still will pay, you weren't thinking of this scenario and therefore you don't need, uh, you, you wouldn't be obligated to pay, although maybe it's still relevant. Some language may apply. You have to look on a case-by-case uh, basis. Yeah, and fine. And the mora might decline to accept the payment and they can say, you know they can if, if the moras say well if a third is not enough they can say we don't want your kid in our play group going forward they're going through these uh, these factors here that's that's Lakewood's uh, guidance. Nary, uh, Baltimore the of Baltimore sort of in the Yisrael orbit um, gave other uh, other uh, uh, guidelines. Their guidelines spoke not only about day group uh, about groups but also about schools where they say Rebaim and moras should be paid in full based on the Ramah and Post-Kermit Shulchan Aruch, and interestingly, uh, you know, we, the case, the classic case of the Malamed is, is parallel here, although, you know, there's no, uh, no uh, d- government dictate against the teaching, but it's sort of a parallel case in some ways, um, and they say, uh, they say you should still be paid. That's, that's their, their uh, psak there, and the Chassam Sofer suggested that they get paid. Of course, this is not, you know, ju- um, the logic here is somewhat interesting, So they say because the teachers are being paid by the school, Therefore, parents should pay full tuition to the school if possible, right? So that's, that's an interest, right? Tuition must therefore continue to be paid to the schools because they're gonna continue to pay their faculty. Now, these two are not necessarily linked on a halakhic level, right? If the school has certain obligations to the faculty, that's not the same as the obligation of a student to the school. You could make an argument that those would be distinct. I think part of the goal here, this is a Takana, a, a sort of a communal uh, enactment to try to make sure to help keep the institutions afloat. If, you know, if the rebame don't get paid, that would be, that would be uh, terrible. Uh, they would be, you know, in a very dire financial situation. If the school doesn't get paid, that would shut down the school. So the goal here, at least for, for families who can pay, they talk about tuition breaks and people who have difficulty, but at least for those who can pay to, to expect people to pay. They also say even playgroup moras um, who are doing some programming should be paid in full rather than Lakewood was saying 40 or 50%, they're saying pay in full. And um, then they have a, some technical ideas here. Babysitters and paid carpool drivers should get, and playgroup assistants should get, uh, sorry, should, uh, should, get half, should get half pay, um, right? If you're not, if you're not doing additional programming, you should get half pay. So it's interesting to note that the numbers here are a bit higher than the Lakewood numbers, right? Lakewood was looking at a, a, a third to a quarter, a quarter to a third without programming and a half about with programming. And here, it's more like a half without programming and full with programs. So I think there's two factors here. One is uh, the Lakewood psaac was sort of stacking the two factors of it's not clear if you need to pay at all, so pay half, and scarbatala, so half of half is a quarter, whereas here they're not really stacking, they're just doing, uh, I'm not sure either, I assume it's probably the scarbatala. Scarbatala knocks you down to half. If you're doing online teaching that goes, brings you back to full, but they're not including the idea that some, uh, some uh, uh, post Say you shouldn't pay, or you should only pay half. They're not incorporating that on a practical level. Um, one might argue that there's also a, a sociological difference, because and this is speculation, but you know, Lakewood is a much younger community. The average age of a parent is much, or, or average age of overall is much younger. People who are less established financially, whereas Baltimore is, uh, you know, on average a bit older, more established. Maybe there's they assume that there's more uh, financial capacity on the part of parents in Baltimore rather than Lakewood, which of course. If we're working on the basis of shara here, which people have noted, that makes that's very important, right? The capacity of people to pay is one of the main factors when thinking about shara, about how to evaluate. When we're not trying to find fault, we're trying to figure out the best way forward. Um, so uh, there also was was guidelines about playgroups from the five towns. We're not going to go through that, but they suggest also a 50-50 split. I would say certainly, um, certainly, uh, you know, there's also probably I would guess there's more capacity in, in, uh, in the, the Five Towns, as opposed to Lakewood as well, which may be part of it. Um, but there's not, not uh, too much new here that are not in the other, the other sources. Now, uh, on, on a somewhat different note, Rev. Herschel Shafter of YU has a letter not focusing on schools, focusing, for our purposes, relevant to Pesach programs. We'll read the English for reasons of time. Um, but the, maybe the important thing is, if you look, the title is utstaka Tatsumi Maves right? Stukka saves from death. Uh, stucka has important uh, important uh, abilities, and, and this was written, this piece was written on Yuddal Nisan. Erev Pesach, right before Pesach, people were thinking about, what do we do about Yizker? What do you do at Yizker? You usually do Yizker on Yontif. Um, you're not having services on Yontif, because the shuls are closed. So what do we do about Yizker? So, R'shechler starts off, um, if you're unable to gather in school, in shul, Yizker may be recited without a minion, but the main point of Yizker, and this is not well known, uh, not as well known as it should be, is to uh, serve as a context in which to pledge to in the merit of deceased loved ones. That's the real idea of Yizkor. That's the origin of the minhag. You make a commitment to tztaka, and then around that you say, Yizkor, you hope Hashem remembers your relative and helps them, etc. The Ramam says the main idea of Simchas Yom Tov is about uh, giving to tztaka, and he says this is even more critical at the present. Tanakh teaches tztaka is one way to bring salvation from death. So both tztaka is more necessary, um, but also the salvific powers of, of tztaka are more relevant. And he says, and here we go from pure halacha to a little bit of musr, a little bit of uh, ethical uh, exhortation in particular, those who are willing to spend thousands of dollars in order to celebrate Pesach in hotels with their families should certainly donate the money which they did not ultimately spend to charity. Right. So if you're going to be spending whatever it is, several thousand dollars a person for a Pesach program, and in the end you can't and it gets canceled, so you should give the money to people who actually who, who need it. You're not spending it, you're staying home, it's much cheaper, you should sp- spend the money for people who need it. And now he gets into some of the details of Pesach programs. The, the current crisis presents many issues of Jewish civil law and, and conflicts between parties, issues of payments and re- refunds, and we, we saw several of those today. There will be many factors for a peasant to evaluate. In general, proprietors of Pesach programs are paid both for the experience and goods they provide and for their own expenses invested in preparing the program, right? So it's, it's not like ordering a pizza. When you order a pizza, you're paying for the pizza. You're not really paying for anything else, for the work. For a program, a large scale thing like a Pesach program, you're paying for your experience, which you're not getting this year, but you're also paying for all the preparation that needs to go into it. When the program is canceled due to events outside their control, as in this situation, a Bezin will have to assess how much of the money should be refunded and how much is justifiably kept to cover their own losses and to compensate them for the efforts already expended. So there's already a question mark. You're not gonna get back all your money in this case because some of the payment towards a Pesach program is the employee, the year-long employees who do the planning, things that were already ordered, maybe if they can't get back their reservation fee from the hotel, you won't get that money back if that's a cost already uh, taken out by the by the uh, program. A besn will also factor in how much financial aid will be provided by the government or from insurers when calculating the reimbursement among other considerations, right? Obviously, if if um, if the hotel or the, if the PESOC program is gonna get, it has insurance and it's gonna get fully paid, so, they should pay you back all your money too, right? if they're, getting, if they're not going to end up losing anything. Um, fine, so that's some of the halakha considerations, but now again, to the moral exhortation to the Musr, even if the letter of the law demands the proprietors do refund large sums of money, which likely would be the case, right? presumably the main thing you're paying for in a Pesach program is the hotel room, the food, that should be a good, I don't know, 70-80%, so maybe a small chunk would, you'd save, uh, that the, the hotel wouldn't have to pay on Din, on technical halakha, letter of the law, the program participants should keep in mind that the Jewish people are identified by mercy and compassion. Our command is to go above and beyond and being sensitive to the needs and struggles of others. Sometimes it's appropriate to demonstrate this mercy by forgiving a debt when it's clear the debtor is struggling financially. As opposed to going to Bezdin to demand the full amount, one should request of the Bezdin to make a just shara, to make a fair compromise, not compromise in the usual sense, like 50-50, but that the resolution should be determined based on each scenario, considering all the factors thinking about equity, thinking about what's fair in this situation. So essentially, the logic would be like this. If the, if the proprietor of the Pesach program is going to go bankrupt and have you know, ruinous personal loss, so maybe you shouldn't try to squeeze every dollar out of him. You should go for pshara, and there should be some global resolution to allow for no one to really suffer too much. And of course, part of the logic here, sort of as was stated, is that if you're going to a Pesach program, you have this money, that in the end you didn't spend. You have a lot of a large chunk of the money you would have spent on the Pesach program, um, you, it's not like you spent that much on making Pesach at home. So that money is in a sense, it's, uh, it's now available to help to help support those who, who may be in a crisis, such as the proprietor of the program or other, other people or tzedakah more generally. And of course that's why this was framed as in the context of tzedakah and yizkor. Regarding payments made to yeshivas in day schools, some parents have demanded refunds. And he says, this is certainly an improper approach. The schools in yeshivos already cannot pay this, the salaries of their Raymond teachers. If we ask for reimbursements and remove our support, the schools will shut down due to the current and impending financial challenges. So again, this is not DIN. He's not saying halakhically you're not entitled to a refund. Maybe you are technically, but it's an improper approach. It's not an idea of Shara or the Flimishirasa DIN going above and beyond. If you can afford to pay tuition, so yes, you are getting fewer services uh, from the school this year, even if they're doing online learning or whatever it is, But squeezing the money out of the school if you have the capacity to pay, right? If you, I assume if, you, if someone loses their job, it's a different story. But if one has the same capacity, but says, well, I'm not getting the service, I'm not gonna pay, that's an improper approach. Rather, we must do our part to support the schools and yeshivas to the best of our abilities in order to ensure they'll be available to serve our communities when the epidemic comes to an end. Doing so would be considered staka, he notes, uh, for all purposes and represent the attitude that our, our tradition demands. And I think, I recall in the Hebrew, and maybe one of the other sources, maybe the Lakewood source as well, said that some of this money that you end up paying, it, you can pay as your miser money. It can be counted as tzedakah money uh, out of your miser because it's, if you don't owe it on a technical halachic grounds, you're paying it because you're choosing to do pshar, you're choosing to pay more than technically you have to to be, you know, to do the ethical thing. You can count that towards your tzedakah. So this is, you know, uh, several cases, both pesach programs and schools, um, but. You know, but thinking about about uh, those who are who are in who are you know being challenged, who are who have challenges due to coronavirus, whether a proprietor of a program that that uh, you know got sunk, or whether schools that are that are facing major challenges, um, that those who have the capacity to to you know to pitch in more, um, such as those attending pass-up programs, such as those who could have paid tuition and their financial situation hasn't changed, the assumption is that they should do everything they can. Uh, going forward. And again, this is based on pshara. As much as there's DIN, there's a whole, uh, all these sources that we saw before. At the end of the day, that is a factor, but there, these other factors of your capacity to pay and what, what's needed are relevant as well. One final source from the Rabbinical Council of Bergen County um, uh, a bit over a month ago. What about people, babysitters or help in the homes? So they sent out, longer letter that I cut this piece out of, people who have cleaning or babysitting help in your homes should try to maintain their salaries since they rely on this income. Right. If they're uh if someone, you know, they're they're living paycheck to paycheck based on work they're doing in people's homes. Now that work is dried up. So what should happen? They should be evicted from their homes, they should go hungry, you should continue paying them. Uh, uh and it's, it says should. It's not saying this is a halachic obligation. They don't go into the halacha. They're working on the basis of Shahren, doing what's right. Additionally, if these employees should not be coming to our homes at this time, they should not be coming to the homes, especially they work in multiple houses throughout the week, right? Meaning to say, okay, I'm paying them, they might as well come. Well, that's dangerous, and the RCBC has been very proactive uh, and very uh, successful in, in emphasizing the dangers and how people should try to minimize, uh, minimize the human interaction that would be dangerous. So you certainly shouldn't have them working for you, but you also, uh, if, if you can, should continue paying, paying their salaries because they really rely on the income. And again, this is not DIN. It's not argued as basis on the basis of DIN. It's argued on the basis of with going beyond what's, what's expected and Shara and doing the right thing. So just to sum up, as we saw both in the area of renting spaces um, and the area of renting workers or hiring workers, employees, there's there's a, a wide range of views as to whether Makas Medina, whether the fact that there's a pandemic, that there's a global challenge, changes things and means that the employee should get paid despite not working or that um, one should be exempt from paying from the space, even though usually one, one might be. There's a wide range of views from everything to nothing to half to it depends on who's holding on to the money. In practice, most post command advised uh, have advised shara which means you know, not necessarily to go based on the letter of the law which itself is not clear but to try as much as possible to continue supporting as many people and as many communities uh, as as we can to try to uh, to try to do the best we can as a community to overcome this challenge and that means that means distribution a distributive justice where the you know the the, the brunt of this financial challenge is borne by those who can who can carry it the most and hopefully uh, God willing, this will be uh, in the success of our tzedakah and our uh, giving to the right uh, causes. Uh, unselfishly, this will lead to uh, both our community being able to overcome the financial challenges and also the, uh, the physical, biological, and all the other challenges that come in the wake of coronavirus. Um, we have about a minute or two for questions, um, if people have them. I'm seeing on Facebook, someone writes, what are the parameters of Medina? Does that be global or national? or any local state city. So Rav Usher Weiss deals with this issue. His opinion, which seems to make a lot of sense, is that it means basically the area, the general region, which based, based on the Mishnah is reasonable. The Mishnah talks about flood in an area so that it's the geographic area that relies on the river. If there's a flood or if the river doesn't work, whatever it is that affects your your, your the, the fields, it depends on essentially that market or that area. The way that applies nowadays is uh, you know, it depends on, on the market. So Rav Usher Weiss says, this Shkuna, this neighborhood of Yerushalayim, where there's, whatever it is, a few hundred apartments that are overwhelmingly rented by Americans, that qualifies as its own Medina, so to speak. So the fact that that market is affected adversely by coronavirus, even though their neighbors, you know, the people, the next Shkuna, the next neighborhood over are all, you know, native Israelis and are staying there. And there's no issue. The fact that this particular area is is affected uh, makes it Makas Medina. So that would be the standard, that would be the standard for Medina. that was a question on Facebook Live. Other questions? Um, okay, if there are no further questions, everyone, uh, as, we, as we said, this should be a schuss for all of us. We should all uh, you know, be as successful as possible, both in contributing where we can and in overcoming, uh, overcoming these challenges as a community. Thank you very Thank you. much.